Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Horst Schultze. I am extremely excited about this podcast today. I, I had the pleasure of hearing Horst speak only for about 10 minutes because unfortunately I had a call, but we were at a conference together in San Diego recently. Uh, just to give you a quick intro to Horst, Horst is the co-founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotels. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. He uh, retired years ago, but that only lasted a couple days because he, uh, as I read in some of the things he's said in the past, is he likes playing hotel. And so started another uh, hotel group uh, shortly after his retirement from Ritz-Carlton that ended up being a highly acclaimed uh, organization, Capella. Today, you can find Horst out educating, talking, speaking about excellence. He's written a book called uh, Excellence Wins, A No-Nonsense Guide to Becoming the Best in the World of Compromise. I can go on and on about Horst, but let's get to Horst, to the, the guest of honor here today. Horst, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, unfortunately, when you were out there in, in San Diego speaking, I had to walk out after about 10 minutes with a phone call, and, and man, was I upset I had to do that, because especially afterwards, I heard everybody talking about what a great speaker and educator and talking about excellence and all that you did. So, I don't know, let me give you a few minutes to, to kind of, you know, give us the why this is uh, so passionate for you. Um, after so many years in this profession, you're still out educating on it. Yeah, well, it's interesting, but who we are is the input that we had from many people before us and during our lifetime and so on. And I had especially heavy input by the first maitre d' I worked for. I actually left home when I was 14 years old. Wow. Lived in a dorm room 100 miles away from my home. And when I arrived there, the reason was my parents found this job as a busboy is I wanted to work in a hotel business. And they wanted to get me to the best hotel in the region. And that was the best hotel in the region. But the maitre d' who welcomed me he said two sentences that changed my life. Now, in the moment, 14 years old, I didn't get it. Right. But he lifts those sentences and consequently over the next three and a half years working for him, I adopted much of it, obviously. So the first thing he said, he said just one sentence, tomorrow show up at 7 a.m. If I meant one minute after seven, I would tell you so. He establishes discipline, controls, uh, excellence, everything right there in one sentence. I didn't get it, but I learned it later. And then he said one more sentence. He said, and don't show up to work. Show up to create excellence in what you're doing. And that's the word excellence. He used the English word excellence. And I was in Germany. He spoke five languages fluent. And he always used the word excellence when he referred to excellence. In fact, before I left there, two and a half years later, I went to Switzerland to work a season in Switzerland and then in the America line and, and, and in Paris and, and London and so on and came back to the US, US eventually. The last thing he said, come here, look me in the eyes, never go to work. You're a human being. You go to create excellence. Chairs on which you sit, work. Computers, he would say today, work. A telephone works. A spoon works. You, and those things fulfill functions. You are a human being. You create excellence in what you're doing. He actually made me promise that never go to work. You're a human being. So he had huge influence on me. That's great. Is this, uh, I'm just curious now, before we get into anything else, is this somebody you were able to stay in contact with? Did he end up seeing the Ritz-Carlton come to life? No, no, no. He had died a long time uh, since and I left there and, and fr fr truly worked in the finest hotels in Europe. Plaza Adne, Paris, Borovash Palace, Rosam, Savoy, and, and, and Cream Park in, in London, and so on, so on, Hold America Line. So, And then I ended up for a year in as room service waiter in San Francisco, and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> that was 1964. 
<laughs> well, somebody, uh, I was working in the Savoy in the Krill at the time as a waiter, and somebody said, hey, do you want to work in America? I said, yes. Now, if he would have said Zimbabwe, I would have said yes. I mean, I was, just, I was young. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. And he said, well, I so give me your address. I send you some papers. You go to the embassy, you get the papers and come to the US. And I did. Huh. You didn't tell him, though, you weren't going to go to work. You were going to go to create excellence. And No, I, I, you know, interesting enough, it's kind of an interesting question. Let me hook up. And I, I finally ended up to work in the as a room service waiter in the Hilton and San Francisco with a very intent to go back within a year or two. But I wanted before I got back, I wanted to learn the language well. I still work on that. Okay. You're doing well. <laughs> and I wanted to learn new culture, new systems, new ideas. And I wanted to have a promotion from room service waiter to room service supervisor. Hmm. I knew I could get that because I could see that's how they promoted in the in the Hilton. And I knew I was the best waiter. And my manager in room service was German too. So I had an in clearly. And sure enough, a few months later, another supervisor got promoted. And the manager said, now tomorrow morning, show up at eight o'clock. We're going to say goodbye to Bill and wish him good luck. And I'm going to announce the next supervisor, which of course would be me. So I, we, I went in at eight o'clock and we applauded Bill who got promoted. And he said, the next supervisor is Fred. And I knew I wasn't Fred. Now, I, <laughs> you know, this anger and this pain and this ego and this stupid management and, and, and uh, all that was in my mind. It took me several months to admit the other guy deserved it more. Hmm. Once I realized that, he came to work five minutes early. I arrived five minutes late. I partied a lot in the evening. I hardly said good morning. And he said, friendly, hello, everybody. When the manager asked, uh, do some side work over here, like folding the napkins or something like that. I said, why me? The other guy said, I'm happy to. I then went back to my little furnished room in the Pentenderloin district, where I lived, three blocks away from the hotel. And I talked to the maitre d'. Now, he had passed away, but I, he, didn't, he didn't show up. Don't worry. But, but I talked with him. And I said, forgive me. I went to work to work. Oh, wow. And I promised him it will never, ever happen again. And I promise you it didn't. Really? I, every morning, I will remind myself. In the beginning, I wrote on the mirror, go to work for excellence. Every morning, I, re I remind myself, I'm a human being. I'm better than just fulfilling a function. Right. I'm not a chair. And my career took off. I would say. That's right there. I mean, man, we can just go into a long story of leadership there. The leadership that that... Maitre D showed you, and that stuck with you all these years. And then you realized you weren't following the things you, you had promised him you would. It took several months to admit that, by the way. Several months of ego. <laughs> I eventually admitted it and then approached the situation. I went back to him and, and said, Excellence, yes. And from there on, it, it, it changed my life totally, totally. Well, that's amazing. So this is the unique CPA. I love the story. I, and we're going to go into a lot of stories because I'm just keep getting goosebumps just listening to uh, the stories you're already telling. Let's let's try to talk about, and in, we can probably do it in general, but I'm sure we can get more specific with, with our profession, the accounting profession. You just spoke at a conference. We have many things that, that I think can be better, can be changed. And that you and I said before the podcast that, some of the things that we're dealing with are not unique to our profession. We feel like they are, but they're not. So we have all kinds of things we can go into. But one of them is we just, people aren't coming into our profession right now. We're not attracting them. We're not retaining people. Um, I feel the culture needs a bump up because people just like, you know, they decide, hey, I want to go into IT rather than accounting because IT is a lot more fun and exciting. And so there's things that we're just having, struggling with as an accounting profession from your standpoint, creating excellence from customer service, from all that, what can we do to be better as a profession, I think? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Big question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really, you hear the same comments from every industry. I'm, I understand I'm on several boards. I consult with several companies. I make speeches to now, you know, the, I spoke to you the next day, I spoke in, the next day I spoke in, in uh, Los Angeles and the following day in Kansas City. 
uh, to totally different industries. Yep. And I heard the same feedback, and it's the same issue. It's really, forgive me, now here comes this stupid words that everybody uses, a leadership issue. I agree. Everybody talks about leadership. Everybody talks about culture. Everybody talks about alignment. And it seems nobody knows what it really is. Look, I sit with in boards with several CEOs, and it is sometimes pathetic, I have to tell you, what the thinking of people. We have to understand, no matter what we produce, if I'm building tractors, or I have a hardware store, or I'm a CPA, or I have a hotel, it's not about us. It's about our customers. And the way I can reach these customers is through my employees. Look, I had hotels in five continents. Mm -hmm. And each one was voted number one in the world, by the, in their location, by the way, and the company number one in the world. The company I started afterwards, Capella, is now rated number one in the world. All right? And now I sold it, but it is, so it is no secret. And I work with companies that are exceptional. But we have to understand we start first of all, what is leadership? My goodness, we talk about it in, in, in pathetic ways. It says it, I'm leading you somewhere. And I talked to CEOs and you said, yeah, I got that. And I said, and show me where you lead your people in your company. And you know what they show me? They show me a mission statement. Right. We do this and this excellent. And so well, that's, not, that's not leading. You're there. You're, that's what you do. Where do you want to be in 10 years from now or in 20 years from now? I started Ritz Carlton to give that as an example and said, we had no hotel. I started with a hotel that was in construction, was being built as a holiday inn. Wow. Finished the building. And I said, I only will join and run your company. That were investors there that was looking for an operator. And I said, if you let me go top end. And they said, you can do what you want. You're the operator. So I decided I will create the finest hotel company in the world. That's a vision. Mm -hmm. Now I have something where I can lead people to because I have determined a destination for the work that I do. But I have to make sure now I have to say as a leader, is my vision good for all concerned? Is it good for the investor? Not just a simple yes. Agonize about it. Number two, is it good for my customer? Number three, is it good for society as a whole? And number four, most importantly, is it good for every employee? Mm -hmm. So once I know my vision is good for all of them, then as a leader, I cannot compromise it anymore. Now, my role is because it's good for everybody to make this the best hotel company in the world. Now, from here on, I don't hire people anymore to come to work for us. Now, there is an issue. We hire people, let's be very honest. We go out and hire people to fulfill a function. In my case, cleaning toilets, checking people in and so on. But that's not why I hire them. I hire them to join me in a dream to become the finest in the world. I'm giving them purpose. Now, Aristotle already said 3,000 years ago, if people want to be fulfilled, they need purpose and belonging. I'm inviting them to be part of something, to belong and have purpose. That, that's how it has to start and show them. But then I have to connect them that that purpose of being the best in the world will for you create more opportunity, more income, recognition, honor, definement. You will def be defined as the finest in the world. I'm offering you that to join me in that wonderful journey. There's no function I'm offering you. Now, why would you feel me, uh, join me for a function? You see, it starts there in the selection. And, and if eventually a person works for you and they, they leave and they don't want to work for you, and we say, well, they were not good, wait a minute, then why did you hire them? Mm -hmm, right. How did you orient them? How did you train them? What is your work environment? It's you, leader. It's not them. Right. So if you create that kind of an organization, and, and let me just explain the processes that we, the number one, select them right. Number two, orient them right. A key element, orientation, first day of work. What do we do the first day of work? I can tell you what you all do. 
Here, here's our rules and regulation. Here, here's the handbook. Here's the insurance paper. Here's the this and this. And when you finish with all that, you, the manager, will say, make this the team speech. We're a team here, bravo. The, the famous team speech without giving an objective. Yep. You're not a team unless you have a common objective. But they talk about team without saying, here's what we want to accomplish together. Here's our objective. And then all the first day, you say to the new waiter who is Bill. Now, Bill, I let you work with Joe over here. He knows the ropes. Suddenly you're in the rope business. <laughs> and you talk, turn Bill over to Joe. And on the way, then they leave, and on the way to the kitchen, let's say, Joe tells Bill, this company sucks, and that's the guy, new guy's orientation. Right. Great. And you have expectation. Let me tell you, I did every orientation of every new Ritz Carlton around the world and told him, here's who we are. Join us. Here's where we're going. And here's, it's good for you. Be with me. And then I stayed there to train. I, I didn't go as a CEO and have a glass of champagne with everybody and dance. No, I was there to train the employees and teach them. And that's why our turnover in the hotel, but now look at in, in Ritz Carlton, our turnover. Now I'm gone a long time. I don't know what's today. Right. First of all, we were, we were voted number one in the world for 14 years in a row. Wow. In a, in a Amazing. And, and not on that number one brand in the world. And I didn't just sit there and hope that that happens. We had a process, a process selection, number two orientation. The first day we tell them the behavior that is needed in our job and how and who we are and so on, because behavior cannot be taught after a person 16 years old, unless there's a significant emotional event in a person's life. And the first day of work is a significant emotional event. And we, we waste it. And number three thing we do, of course, teach the processes. And number four, we sustain it all. Every day, you cannot go to work in, in my companies without having a five-minute meeting where we, we remind you that we're here for the, for the customer and so on. Oh, they know it already. It doesn't matter. I will keep it right here in front. Right. So that is the processes to accomplish that people feel part of you and want to work, and want to do. What is a company all about? Let, let's, let's look at it for a moment. Yep. There are all kinds of people over there. That's your market or your potential market. I have to know what is the expectation of that market relative to my product. What is the real expectation? I can you tell you one expectation? They want to be respected. No, no you know, so not only your, your tax work and so on, they have other expectations. And you should know that. And you should now align, here's this word, not a buzzword, align your employees to what those expectations and you, the manager, create processes, systems, measurements, and, and controls so it will happen. But you make sure the, the customer expected. And if you bring leadership into the equation, you create an environment where the employee wants to do it. Wants to do it. Well, they want to, if you introduce them already, what it means to them to be highly respected, what are the future and so on. You connect them. The millennials today say, here's not the millennials, not a big deal. <laughs> the millennials, what is the two things that are key differential about them is number one, they say, do it my way, my way. Okay, when they buy a home, when they buy a McDonald's, I order number one, they say, take a number one, but I take two slices of tomato, no mayonnaise, the pickle, and all That's how they work. Right. In my way. In their work, they want to give input relative to their work. But listen to them. They know their function better than you do. So the other thing they say, what is in it for me? Well, tell them. If we are here accomplishing our objective, here's what's in it for you. All kind of recognition, all kind of honor. You defined as somebody exceptional because you work with our company. That's in it. That's what's in it for you. Right. I mean, my goodness. And then the other password, let's get rid of that too. Now, then, we, then I'm ready for any kind of question, but <laughs> let's get rid of it because it's, 
It's all the same, every company I work with. The other one is, is culture, culture. Everybody talks about culture. It's not enough to use the word culture. What is a culture? The culture is the common belief of the organization. How do you communicate that belief? How do you measure that the belief? Every day we give a message before in our five minute meeting about who we are, where we open a new hotel, what we are thinking. Every day, the same conversation takes place in every hotel around the world. Every day, we send that conversation. Sounds like there. consistency is key too. Consistency and, and create a common belief. We, we believe we're the best. We believe that we will benefit. We believe that we're respected. We believe we're the greatest pro in our industry. We believe that together. That's amazing. So that just there, I think we can take that as a profession yeah. and, and change change the perception and reality of our profession. But the perception is, I think, a key with it as well. And again, more than our profession, but the perception is that we don't care about the people. And you just told us how we can do that. Yeah. Well, the first thing that you have to learn to know that is that you are in the service industry. That's, yes. And that means to very started that you care for your customer. Service means it starts the instant I make contact with the customer. That instant. In other words, a fine greeting, a fine good morning, a moment. And in that moment, watch out. You will meet a new customer. It doesn't matter where, on the telephone or somehow or, or in person. In the moment when you meet them, you cannot help it subconsciously you make a decision about them. And that society tells you different, but this is a fact and every behavioral analyst will, analyst will tell you that. That is, we can't help it. Mm -hmm. Right or wrong, it's not our fault. We do it subconsciously. We make a decision. But wait a minute. They're making a decision about you the moment when they meet you. So it has started. Your relationship with the customer has started. Your service to customer has started. Welcome. Good morning. Instead of hi. Right. Hey, we are equal. No, 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 we're not equal. I respect you and I'm professional. I'll let you know that by how I say good morning, how I look, how I act. I'm going to say to you the first moment I meet, I make it clear to you that you can trust me. I look in your eye and say, good morning, sir. I'm delighted to meet you. Good morning. How are you today? And I look in your eye and I look right when I meet you as a customer and I act right and I smile at you. And so, no, that's the first step of service. Now here comes the second step of service. It's not about you. It's doing your best relative to your product or service, doing your best to help them. And if that is your mindset, you will ne never lose them. They become loyal. There are three types of customer. They're the dissatisfied ones. Watch out. They become terrorists against your company. Yep. They go on social network. So you cannot afford that. If you're any smart, you know you cannot afford that. So they're the dissatisfied one. And then they're the satisfied one. They're satisfied. And they go next door if there's a better deal. Right. And then there's the loyal one. Now, that's another talk. Loyal customer, customer satisfied, customer loyalty. Well, what is it? Customer loyalty is nothing else, but they have developed trust in you. And here's a very important thing. I hope everybody listens to that one. Listen to what I tell you now. This is mind-boggling. In a very recent survey, 70% of the market, means everybody out there, said, I am willing to pay more for your product if I know that you care for me. Right. Wow. Hey, but you know what? 80% of the millennials say so. And they're pretty soon your only customers. The rest of us are dead. <laughs> True. So look, those, they're, they're, they're saying, 80% of them, if you care for me, I buy a product. And in fact, I'm willing to pay more, even if I know I can get it for less next door. Once I know that, this is scientific service, guys. Right. Now, once I know that, what am I doing about the caring part? Yep. Altogether, what is the expectation of the customer when they buy something from you? See, this all has been studied. And we work without blah, 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 without knowledge, without destination. We just go and do things. We just function. Well, the expectation of your customer 
in any purchase, your expectation. If you buy anything at all, a computer, a microphone, a, a, a car, a bottle of water, let's stay with that. What is your ex subconscious expectation? You want the product to be defect-free. Yep. Subconsciously. Number two, timeliness. Very important, extremely important. Timeliness, uh, responding to emails, being in time, responding in time, everything. Timeliness is very important. If you're not timely, they don't trust you. So no defect, timeliness. And the third thing that you expect when you buy that bottle of water is, as again, you, you expect it to be clean. You expect it when you want it. And number three, you expect that the people who give it you are nice to you. Caring. Caring always comes in. Yep. And you can go over and over and every analysis, make every analysis, caring plays a real major role. And who gives that caring? Your employees. Well, that goes back to the five minutes that start every day. This is what we go over. But to go even further on that, I've read and I've heard you on other podcasts talk about the fact that is that you had every employee like had a card and what, these are our values or these are, or what did you call them? And what was the cards for? Uh, it was our canon card or our, our credo card. I mean, our creed was written on there, the creed of the organization. And then the 20 non-negotiables. That means 20 things, you can argue everything else, how we should do it. But those 20 things, here is what we have to do. One of them, for example, silly things, but we got that, we got those things from customer studies. What impressed them? What, what did they think uh, was important? And so on. Number 12, for example, was if somebody asks for direction, you don't point, you take them there. So there are 20 points in here. Number 12, if somebody asks for direction, you take them there. And then we taught them. Let's say we're together today and said number 12. Today is number 12. If anybody asks for direction, you don't point, you take them there. And then we explain. And on the way there, you create relationship. Yes. On the way there, you say things like, are you a hotel guest? And if he says yes or no, you then say, but I hope you had a chance to try our restaurant. Everybody, every guest raves about it. So you converse and you sell something at the same time. And then you show them, now here is your meeting room, sir. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome, sir. Have a wonderful day. Bang. We develop trust in this moment. Caring, respect, yep. By the way, we taught every employee, no matter what you're doing, when the guest comes within 10 feet, remember, within 10 feet, they make a decision about you. That's a fact. Yep. When you come within 10 feet, you look them in the eyes and say, good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. Not hi. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome. Not guys, not folks, sir, ma'am. Because we want to tell them we respect you and we are professionals. This within 10 feet has been studied. In our case, we started 400,000 guest common cards. J.D. Uh, Power started them for us. Whenever the first contact was excellent, for three days, three days, never did a complaint follow. Wow. Never. Because we put a subconscious positive in them. Whenever the first contact was not excellent, always soon after a complaint followed. Room service was too small, slow, the curtain didn't open, something. So have you taught to make sure that the first kind of excellence so that a customer will trust you? Have you taught to the timeliness and all those things we have to understand and create processes behind it? Be sure we align our employees around and so on. And by the way, number 12 is that question. Is, num is if a guest asks for direction, don't point. And that's taught today. In every hotel, same discussion. Really? We include a letter from a guest that complimented it. That's read that letter. We then tell them, by the way, here's what's going on in the company. We just signed a new contract in Nanjing and will open the Nanjing Hotel in about three years. It will have 600 rooms, whatever. We let them know that they're part of something. And guess what? In 20 days, we repeat number 12. Yep, right, right. 
keep putting it out there. I love that. But on top of that, what you just said, basically you're empowering your employees to be the positive face of the organization. But I read somewhere too, if there was anybody that had an issue, there was a complaint, there was a concern that each employee was also could make a decision on how to rectify that by spending money on it too. I cannot afford to lose a customer and, and a customer become a terrorist against my company, particularly in my market segment. So we taught, certified every employee around the world how to handle problem resolution. In a nutshell, here's how it goes. Number one, listen to the complaint. Number two, show empathy. Number three, apologize. Number four, make amends. And you have the right to make a decision, every employee, every single employee, up to $2,000. You will not be questioned, but I do not want to lose a single customer. But of course I knew that a lifetime customer is worth at least $200,000 to me. Yeah. So why wouldn't I invest? And he could take others away from me. Exactly. But when I did this, some owners threatened to sue me that I want when bus boys to give $2,000, I'm going to sue you for mismanagement and all this garbage. And it's so silly, don't you understand? I don't want them to give 2000 I want to keep the customer. Right, right. He's worth much more than 2000 Exactly. He spends more than 2000 Come on. So when you said a customer lifetime was worth 200000 is this based on studies? I mean, do you actually know this? Yeah. Yeah, we knew, we knew the average age. We knew how often it's dead and how much you spend in average. That is on the normal business travel customer. There's some customers who come only once in a lifetime. I, we know that, but but the repeat customer spends two hundred thousand dollars about lifetime. All right, so two thousand, and you said it is a drop in the bucket compared to that. Plus, that uh, terrorist against the organization would be worth. Yeah. I mean, that would even be more traumatic. So I'm much more traumatic. Yeah. All right, so let's go into. Just to kind of uh, wrap this into, you know, we have been, as we're talking, but the profession, we are, and you said it, we're a service profession. Honestly, you know, from a technical skilled standpoint, there's not going to be much difference between me and another organization and another. It is the service, the the relationship, the making the customer feel valued. So how do we then... What do you believe in and so on? Yeah. You know, let let me put it in a nutshell. It's very simple. We know uh, Aristotle started that. Um, a human being wants to belong and wants to have purpose. So that should end you offering a job. Mm-hmm. You have, you're offering purpose, purpose and belonging. Now, here's another fascinating story. Now, that's a little older. They, they started with 70, 80% before. It's pretty new. There's a little older started. The largest study ever made for workers, 3 million workers, US and Europe. Many universities were involved. And the question was, what is most important in your job? Name it one to 10. Money was number six, by the way. Oh, wow. Number one was a sense of belonging. Belonging. You know, and, and we're not offering it. <laughs> I'm not belonging to a function. I'm belonging to an idea. I'm belonging to a plan, a destination where we are going. You know, the vision, the purpose, what I can say is so important. I'm giving you a purpose. It's more important than anything and, and the sense of belonging. And by the way, the, the, the second one was the typical millennial thing. It was elbow room. And they explained it with, I am fulfilling this particular job and I'm getting from a boss a memo how to do it. But I have done it for 10 years. I know better. Why wouldn't anybody ask me? Right. I mean, it's so stupid. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But it's a power thing. I'm gonna, I'm the boss. I'm going to tell me how to do it now. You know? Or my or my mother-in-law told me or what something like that. You know? <laughs> and here's a guy that's doing the damn thing for 40 years and can tell us how to do it better and, and says, I would like to tell you how to do it better. Right. That was the number two thing. Yep. <laughs> Respect me. Yeah. We started a new service about four years ago that I got passionate about just the tax code portion of it, but I wasn't prepared to to start making a service. I just was going to go educate on it. And one of our new employees, brand new, came to me and said, hey, you need to make this a service offering. I mean, he's brand new with us. I go, well, 
if you want to do it, you take charge, you run with it. This is your thing. And that's what we did. And this ended up being one of our largest uh, service offerings that we've done in the last four years. We have to accept, okay, for us the employee, let's bring the employee into the come part and understand that the customer wants us to care for them. Yep. That's it. That's the issue. And I, I was recently, uh, I spoke to the Classic Hotels of America convention. Before me was a lady who spoke, and mind you, she's running a good hotel. She's a good manager. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking away that her, her results. However, she spoke and said, in a 45-minute speech, said at least 30 times. I, I'm not exaggerating. Forget everything you know about the business. Everything is new, high-tech, and here's what, and this. You check in on this thing, and, and all, all the conversations are taking place everywhere. And AI uh, and everything is taking place. But she kept on saying, forget everything you knew. And I was the next speaker and said, nothing is new. <laughs> Please accept this, what I'm going to tell you all now. Thousands of years ago, people wanted to be cared for. And that was true thousand years that was ago, and that was true a week ago, and that is true today and will be true in a thousand years from now. Yep. Why don't we understand that? I agree. And this caring creates loyalty. And I can only give that through my people. So now I have to make work on that alignment. Care, looking at them in the eye. How do they know I care? That's why we taught within 10 feet, well, that because the behavioral analysts say that's when the decision is made. Yep. Within 10 feet, no matter what you do, you look them in the eye and you say, welcome, and you show respect to them. Stand up. If you're cleaning on the floor, stand up, let them go by. Wow. And, and people uh, said, man, any rich gardener, go. And now Capella, Capella is much higher rated today. People are amazed about our employees, and we just have those tricks. Right. Of recognition and caring, and um, aligning the employees to care and show them how we will benefit long run because we will get the respect of the being the finest. And if 20 years later a Ritz Carlton employee looks for a job and there are 20 others, you would hire a Ritz Carlton former employee because they're defined, they understand, we define ourselves together. Right. I think that's a lesson that we can install and help make our profession, I think what it can be because we, we have a little ways to go, but we can definitely learn from what you've uh, told us. And this is amazing. All Everything you say, I could listen to you for five hours nonstop. I could do it for two straight days nonstop. And I really appreciate that, but I, I want to pivot. So let's talk about the book then. And you wrote this book. I mentioned at the beginning, it's, I assume, getting the ideas out that we just talked about, but why don't you give us a, a little summary of the book? Well, frankly, I, I tell you, it's, it's, I didn't want to write a book because I'm not good at that. Uh, so, but Steve Carvey kept on pushing me and said, you own it, people. You, you, he became a good friend after he was a guest a couple of times and so on. He said, you own your own son. And I said, yeah, yeah. And then he called me, have you started yet? Uh, yeah, no, not yet. And I, funny enough, I drove home one evening and I got a call about a horse. That's how he talked. I'm disappointed in you. Oh, wow. Why? You have not written your book. And I said, okay, I promise you right here, I'm going to start taking notes right now. And soon later, he died. Yeah. Then I had a bad conscience and I did the book. And I thought to myself, what do I want to accomplish with the book? And what he want to? I want to be sure. And I get a lot of business books and generally I read one third and put them away. And I said, gee, I have to tell stories around those things. Mm-hmm. So I try to tell stories around the issues that I discussed today. I'm very fortunate. It's very, very successful. Yep. It's funny how books, uh, I, I didn't know how that works. I thought people would buy it in a store, but it's not true. I have one guy call me, for example, and said, yeah, I was in Florida. I've, I took a, uh, my flight back to Seattle. Somebody gave me a book. I start reading in a plane. I finish it in a plane, and I just ordered five thousand for every employee. Bang! And yeah. then several, another another CEO bought three thousand, and several bought thousand. Wow. So that's how it became very successful, and it's really out there. And and what is interesting, in fact, the, the publisher just called me and said the amazing thing is after four years, it's still hot, it's still selling that way. Oh, well, I'm I'm fortunate. That's all. 
Well, because the the things, the items you share, the knowledge you share, I think is just amazing. I have not read it. I am immediately getting on wherever you tell me, Amazon or wherever, and ordering it. You, you will be a better man after you read it. <laughs> I, I, oh, believe me, I'm a better man than I was 45 minutes ago after since we started talking. So I really appreciate that. I know. Yeah, and, and I talk to a lot of people. And in fact, I'm after our podcast, I'm on the way to San Antonio to make a speech tomorrow there, also about a very fine company that are moving forward with the whole idea from the beginning. And they're using the book as direction, as, as a guide. To, and, and funny, I was in the Delta Sky Lounge a few weeks ago, and I went to get a cup of coffee, and it was very crowded, big cup of coffee. And there was this big, struggling guy in front of me, I mean, six foot four or something. And he said, are you horsed? <laughs> and I thought, Maya, maybe I did something wrong. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I am. I mean, he scared me. No, yeah. I am working with my company through your book. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's wow, amazing. You know, That's it's amazing. amazing what it gets. So people get the point when they read it. And I, I was hoping that particularly young people would read it because of the stories and finish it. I hope that CEOs would read it and would be a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. How we look at cust as employees. Unfortunately, you see too often, we again we look at employees just as somebody that fulfills a certain function for us. They're human beings. Come on, they're human beings. Right. You need the fundamental respect as a human being to be part and be something. They have purpose, and align them to the other human being. And suddenly, if they feel part, they don't leave for another job for five dollars. It's not what they. No. They're leaving you because you don't feel right. I worked with one bank. Let me just tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And from the very beginning, we look. I looked at employee turnover, uh, lost accounts, and so on, so on, and analyzed it. And and that bank lost it in the, in the eleven months before. It was December, so we looked for that year. In the eleven months, they lost two hundred employees, which was a thirty-six percent turnover. I said, wait, wait a minute. Why did I leave? And the answer was money. You don't understand, banks don't pay much and so on. So we created a team. Now it took us one year to call every one of those employees back. And our, our story was, look here, we just check in on, on you because you used to work for us, we care for you. I hope we just want to make sure that you are fine and uh, with all respect. And by the way, we care for you. And if you ever want to come back, this is about all voluntary leavers. Right. If you ever want to come back, we're here for you. Just so you know, we're not looking for anybody now. Just we say thank you that you were part of us. And by the way, would you tell us very sincerely while you actually left the company? Yep. You know how many have left for money? Not many. Six. Yeah. And we said all left for money. You don't understand. We don't pay much and so on. Right. Ooh, they didn't feel part. Didn't feel respected. They didn't, didn't see a future. And so on. With other words, they weren't part of something. Yep. Look here, we're human beings. We need that. Why don't we accept that? We all of us need that. Yep. Have you, you ever seen the movie Castaway? Yes. Yeah. You know, when you go all alone, you go crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can be all alone working around people who don't care for you. Right. What I don't say is compromise. I'm not saying that. You don't compromise. If they don't do the job, you don't compromise. If they right. don't, probably you don't compromise. You're not there to compromise. You're there to make it the best in the world. Best for in the all. World. For, for everybody. For all concerned, not for one. For, there was four things. For the employee, for the customer, for the society, for the... Uh, and, and the investors. The investors. The investors, the customer, the employee, and society as a whole. Got now, it. I personally, and I hope nobody gets upset what I say now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But that just came out. But I personally would go back to myself and say, would God approve? Right. That's my. That's me. Yep. I, I, I agree. With God approving what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, you don't. You don't have to do that. Uh, but I do that when I'm finished with this analysis. And I, I we we spend the whole day before it's gotten with two VPs that are hired. Now I knew them well because they used to work for me before in hired already. I wasn't hired. I was in charge of food and operation for the United States before I started this. So we sat the whole day and answered to answer, is this dream good for everybody? And we put flip charts out and say, and wrote down why. And then we wrote a mega list and why would not be good for them? Right. 
and how, how do you eliminate this, the negative and so on. So we worked on it the whole day, questioning is this vision good to become the business because we, we knew we have to set high demand, we have to sit you know, to ourselves. I mean, sometimes we may have to let somebody go that cannot do it or will not do it. And right. the pain of that. I let two channel managers go that previously used was friends. And I, I cried. Right. But I had no more right to compromise. Right. I had made a decision they cannot help me be the best in the world because they just don't fit it. And I have I'm responsible for all concerned. Yep. And I think that kind of summarizes it. That vision is it good for investors? Is it good for customers? Is it good for societies and good for the employees? Is it good for all? I think that's a great way to uh to to end that. All right. So Horace, this has been amazing. You know, we talked about all this, these, I mean, you have a passion, obviously, for for what you do. You have a passion for excellence, but I'm guessing you're not working 24 hours a day and constantly thinking about this. What passions do you have that aren't related to running an organization, educating employees? Uh, uh, what are your outside of work passions that you have? Well, it's send us around. Send us around my family. Send us around my wife. Yep. And today, our children are pretty well gone. We're still in very close contact, very much together. I have four daughters. I happen to be passionate about marriage because I'm passionate about our society. I'm passionate about the country, which starts with the marriage, by the way. It's a <laughs> long story. And, and I would recommend something. And here is use that word again, but the only God-ordained union in this world is a marriage. Mm-hmm. And it's the most important relationship you're going to have ever. And we treat it as if it was nothing, yet there's nothing better. And, and I'm purposely to tell the story because it relates to everything else you said. Yep. But I have to start with a vision. Ah, here we go again. Purpose <laughs> of the marriage. I made a vision, had a vision when I got married 44 years ago, nearly 45 years ago, that I would be in love with my wife the rest of my life. Not only love her, oh, absolutely love her, of course, this human being, but I would be in love. That's a decision. That's part of the vision and part of the model of leadership. The next thing I had to, I committed myself to that, just like at work. Next thing I have to institute the things that creates it. I want to be the best in the world. Well, what do I have to institute here? Wow. What do I have to do? I instituted the thing that, that creates it. I had to play with my mind. The way I do that still is when I drive in the driveway here and I have a long driveway and there's a gate and it takes a few seconds. I thank God for this beautiful wife that I'm about to hold in my arm and put it into my mind. I have to put it in my mind every time and I tell the story in, in speeches. I sit down once in a while with my wife and say, how can I be a better husband? Hey guys. Try it. Yeah. Try it. And the one that benefits from it is you, <laughs> not your wife. You will benefit from it. Right. Come on. You see, excellence is not an accident. Excellence is the result of high intent and hard work to get to that intent. You know, and it's a decision to do that. And the decisions you make determine your destiny. Come on. You know, this is it, you know. So I'm passionate about the, the, the family thing. I'm passionate about, I know that it's misunderstood and misinterpreted often because I'm not an, an idiot about that, but I'm very passionate about my, my belief. Yep. I, I had cancer 30 years ago where I was given 10 months to live by the major hospitals. And when you have that, I promise you all, you will understand that there is something more than you in this. And I promise you, you would, as a relationship, that I had that ends all doubt. And so my passion is partially not only to work for this life, but work for eternity. And that's a decision. Yep. And that's a decision. A friend of mine is a happy atheist, and he's a great friend and great, wonderful human being, one of the greatest guys I know. Your decisions determine your destiny. That's it. You know, and to know that I'm zealous trying to teach this to young people. I'm going to Thessalonica in spring where they have a, Huge group of European Americans to see how we can put those messages out better. My passion is to teach in, in universities about this issue, about having purpose and uh, looking further. I'm the hospitality school in Auburn, Alabama. I'm very involved with it. Uh, and in fact, it, it carries my name, the Hostschule School of Hospitality Management. 
and I like to teach there. That's a big passion. So all kinds of things. But besides that, I, I wouldn't mind going fishing. All right. Any type of fishing. We spend the summer every year in a, in a village in Germany. We have a home there. Nice. My wife is from Pittsburgh, but she loves it as much as I do. Otherwise, we wouldn't spend time there anymore. <laughs> so that's an, an, another passion to spend uh, time there in, in, a, in, a, in a home area, in a relaxed area together. And so there are many things of life. And I kind of treat everything with a lot of passion. I can't help it. I see that for sure. Well, Horace, I think we can all learn whatever profession we're in, whatever industry we're in, whatever life we're living, we can learn so much from your teachings. And and I, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, before we wrap up, and we'll put this in the show notes, but if people want to find out more about you or or go and, and, and get the book, where can they look? HoraceShopsy.com? Yeah, yeah. And then look in, in Amazon, you can look to get a book and in the book, this connection. And incidentally, the 20, the 20 things are in the book too. Okay, that's great. And, and to, to steal uh, something I've learned from you, this was my pleasure. My pleasure, yeah. Instead of saying, okay, it's my pleasure. You know, there's this, you know, there's a big story about uh, Chick-fil-A around that. I, I, I was teaching them and I told them, I told them they should change their language, not, not just, hey, and so on and so on. And we discussed it all and I discussed what we say in, 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 in Ritz Carlton, for example, I said, don't say, okay, let's find something else. And uh, we in Ritz Carlton said, my pleasure. And the owner of, of uh, Chick-fil-A said, I was consulting with him uh, for quite a while, uh, said, I like my pleasure. And I said, I obviously do too, yeah. but it's wrong for your market segment. Right. He said, I like it. That's it, it became it. Now people think I did it. I told them not to do it. <laughs> Well, but you consulted still. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told not to use use different words anyway. So. All right. Well, Horace, this truly has been my pleasure. I, you were very gracious to, uh, to agree to do this, and I really appreciate it. God bless. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find the show notes for today's episode and learn more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. And join us next time for more expertise and insights on The Unique CPA. Professionalproductions.net